Good morning. I am Tim Rogers, one of the pastors here as well, and I want to welcome you here. Thanks for being here on this day, and if you're listening online, thanks for tuning in to uh, the podcast. We're grateful for those who make that happen. Um, Right away at the beginning here, uh, if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one in the pew near you, and it's on page 788 or 939, 788 or 939. And if you don't own a Bible, that Bible that you're finding in the pew around you is our gift to you today on this snowy day. We're glad you're here, and you can take that Bible and use that, read that, enjoy that. Um, we are in this, this series, as you see above me, called These Words. We've been in here, this is now actually week 12. Uh, we took a break for Christmas, and we're back, we're returning to it now. And in these words, you may remember um, that Jesus is speaking to a group of people who are trying to figure out who he is and what he has to teach. And he says, by the end in chapter 7, he says, people build homes, they build lives, they build their fortunes, their ideas, their passions, and their visions, and their dreams. And there's certain people who build those houses, if you will, upon the rock. And when the rains come down, those houses stand strong. But then there's other people who build their houses on sand. And when the storms come there, then the houses go, do it with me, do go, splat, go flat. And Jesus invented this children's song at that moment back there several hundred years ago. And, and so for 12 weeks now, we've been talking about these words. What are these words? Because Jesus says, if you hear these words and do them, and do them and do them, then you become someone who builds their house, their vision, their future, their plans, their life upon the rock. Okay, great. So what are these words? What are the words that you're talking about, Jesus? What do you want? Because I want my life to be built on something because it's kind of falling apart when the hard times come, when the storms come. So what are you wanting me to build my life on? And we've talked through for several weeks now, Matthew chapter 5 and 6, and now we're about to turn the corner into Matthew 7. I think you know Jesus did not create um, chapters in the Bible. That was added later. So it's not like he's speaking to people and saying, now chapter 7, verse 1, I'm going to speak to you this. So, but we are turning the page, but the story or the ideas continue. So just to bring us up to speed on on where Jesus is, a couple of weeks ago, he said this. He said, where your treasure is, there your what? Your heart will be also. And then we talked about this idea that as we look at our stuff, the things that we own and manage and steward, that the way that we should think about them is with a strike zone, if you will, that's based on generosity. That generosity should define our financial strike zone. Because if I want to find your heart, I find your treasure. And then last week we talked about this idea, well, what if I actually do that? Okay, what if I live that way and start being generous? I'm going to run out of stuff. Like, I just can't give away all my stuff. How generous should I be? Because I need money, and I need, I got a future, and I'm, my kids, and my grandkids, and my retirement, and what, what, what should I do? And so Jesus comes back, and he's like, don't worry. Do not worry about tomorrow. And we talked about this idea that worry is a choice to live in fear. He said, don't worry, don't worry. Listen, look at the birds of the air, and the lilies of the field. God provides for them. They're beautiful. They're sustained. Don't worry, don't worry. And you're like, well, how can I do that? How can I... How can I choose not to worry? And then he he makes this comment. He says, your heavenly father knows. Your heavenly father knows. So you're telling me, Jesus, as I'm sitting here listening to you, you want me to be generous with my stuff. You want me not to worry, but I'm going to worry. And Jesus says, listen, relax. Dad knows, okay? Dad knows what you need before you even need it. 
And in the course of all of this, we find ourselves, if you're honest, kind of falling short. And we talked about this final reality too, that Jesus is speaking about things in the ideal. He's saying, this is how the world should really work. And then we find ourselves over here, kind of in the real world over here, saying, man, that would be awesome if I could live with a generous strike zone, but maybe I need to just make a little bit more money and I can do that. And it'd be great if I wouldn't have to worry, but I heard that message last week, and this week I worried a lot. And so I'm, I'm in the real part of my life, and I look at this and I feel like, okay, here's the space to grow in between the real and the ideal. And this is Jesus' message to these people. They're sitting there on the... the the mount listening to him speak, and they're feeling not unlike you are, like, good grief, these standards are so high, if not impossible. And Jesus is like, yep, this is the kingdom of God. This is the kingdom of God. Now today, Jesus takes us to a place that we don't always like to go. A place here that all of us have. I'm going to put this here. A place in our heart and life as we, our lives, as we transition from chapter 6 to chapter 7, to, to this place that we, we all have but don't like to talk about. It's a place that we're comfortable sitting on as long as some other people don't know we're sitting on it because we can sit here without people knowing we're doing it. And it feels comfortable, as I've sat here before. And I remember sitting on this stool in my life about 18 years ago. And I sit here regularly, mind you, but this particular story about 18 years ago, I remember as perhaps one of the most um, internally, if you will, um, embarrassing and hypocritical moments in my life. When I was a student at Lancaster Bible College and in walked a new student, a transfer from what was at the time Philadelphia Biblical University. And he walked in the classroom and I looked at him. <laughs> You're kidding me. What, what, are you, what are you, you don't get it, do you? This is not what we're about. In walks a guy with his pants hanging down. This was before American Idol Pants on the Ground song became cool. Right? He had, I mean, low dragon pants, hip-hop look to him, spoke ghetto style. Later on, um, to me, as we, I got to know him later, he would, as I'm walking across campus, he's like, Hey, Roger Dodger, what up, bro? And I'm like, hi. You know, I mean, that, that's about my response to that, because that's not my, my deal, right? So I'm... I'm sitting here, and I'm like, what are you doing here? Like, this is, and, and mind you, I'm not saying any of this, right? But internally, I'm sitting here like, this guy's going to get wasted here at LBC. Like he's, and then, and then I start to get to know him. And here's what I learned, that he's a, a Dove Award-winning rap artist from Philadelphia who uses hip-hop to spread the gospel in this culture. And then, in fact, his dad, when he grew up in the city, his dad, instead of having him go out to play with the kids, he would make him sit down and read the dictionary. And his vocabulary was incredible compared to anyone else's in that classroom that I would look at. Amazing gift for what he ended up doing. To play with words, to use words in a very creative, poetic way. William Branch is his name, and he actually spoke here at Missions Conference several years ago. Now Deuce is his stage name, if you will, part of the cross movement rap group, essentially. I went to college with him and seminary with him as well, and have come to see Deuce in such a different way. In fact, I don't even know that he knows that, that was my initial reaction to him, and I wouldn't even want to tell him. I mean, I wouldn't mind telling him now, but why? Because you know 
Because internally, I look at that now, and I think that is such an ugly part of my heart. That is such an ugly part of my life. To look at someone and say, man, I know what you're about, based on what I see. But I sat here on this stool that day, feeling like I'm in control. Feeling like you're not measuring up to my standards, and feeling quite comfortable and pompous and arrogant about that without realizing the arrogance in my heart, the arrogance in my mind. And here's the deal for all of us. We have places like this, don't we, in our hearts and in our minds. Places where we go when we look at someone and we're like, they bought that? Like, now I'm going to sit down again. They put that on Facebook? They're dating them? And she dresses like that, and, and he dresses like that, and they, they drink that, and they smoke that, and they go there on the weekends, and that's what they're doing after high school, and that's what they're doing after college, and that's what they're doing with their retirement, and that's what they drive, and they sit there, and they don't do that. But we never would say that, would we? Because we cover this part really well. We hide it somewhere back in here. But we never conquer it, do we? We cover it, but but we can't conquer it. We can't get rid of this part of our lives. Now, it's interesting. As we see this thing, Jesus has something to say about it in Matthew chapter 7. Read to me, you tell me, what are the first three words of Matthew chapter 7, verse 1? Let's say them together. As you're looking at the text now, Matthew 7, verse 1, Jesus says, do not judge. Let's say that again one more time. Do not judge. All right, this time without reading it, because I think you can memorize that part. Ready? Here we go. Do not judge. Do not judge. Do not judge. Okay, where, where is he coming from? We just came off of this section that, that I just explained of um, generosity being your financial strike zone and kind of being, uh, being careful about not worrying and trusting and, and all of this stuff of looking on the externals, and then he comes out with do not judge. Now, my question is, are we, we kind of know this is wrong to do, right? I mean, this feels wrong. I don't care if you believe in God or not. Just even as I'm telling you my story, you're like, oh, I didn't know you were that ugly inside, but okay, good for you. I'd never do something like that. I'd just do it different. And uh, you look at this, and you're like, man, we know this is a part of our lives, but the question is, why is this so important? Why would Jesus, of all the things that he could say, why would he say this and why would he say it now? And here's what I believe, because here's the deal. You guys know you could come in and you could leave and you're like, yeah, it was about don't judge people. But I heard that before. I grew up in Sunday school learning that. I know that's wrong. I know it's wrong. It's not a good thing. Then I'm going to do it, but I know it's wrong. Okay? Now here's the deal. Here's the deal. This is, this is so important what I want to say this morning. This is it. That how we judge people is how they will judge Jesus. This is why it matters. All right. how, how we judge people is how they're going to judge Jesus. And, and whether you like it or not, this is reality. When you and I are, are judging people on the basis of what they're looking like or doing or dating or what have you, the, the rules and regs that we kind of create, they're going to look at that and be like, man, 
is if that's what the church is about, if that's what Jesus is about, I don't want anything to do with that. How you and I judge people is how people are going to judge Jesus. And this is why it's more than just, oh, I should kind of clean up an area of my heart. This is why it has eternal implications. You know, I love the way Andy Stanley put it one time. He said, um, a lot of people want to make a point and not make a difference. And I think about that in this situation. When I sit on this part of my life here, okay, when I'm here, I want to make a point that what you're wearing is not what I would wear. And what you, how you spend your money is not how I would spend my money. And what you decide to say is not how I'm going to say. And what you drink is not what I drink. And what you eat is not what I eat. And what you go watch and listen to and drive and all that is not what I would do. And I just want to make that point to you. That I was raised right, and I know you weren't, but, but I was. So I want to make a point. But I don't really want to make a difference for the kingdom of God. And how I judge, how I not only perceive you, but how I respond to you. And here's the deal. People know how we feel about them without us saying it, right? I don't need to tell you how I feel about you. You know it. And you may never process that before, but that is very true. People know what you think about them without you even saying a word. There's something about us. We have that ability. And Jesus comes into the middle of all this, and he's like, do not judge. Then what does he say next? Or what? You will be judged. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. Then verse 2 continues, For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, little English lesson here, okay? Little grammar deal, it's important. Verses 1 and 2 has something we call um, a future passive tense to it. And here's where this matters. You use this before when you were, um, if you've ever been a parent or a kid, and everyone's been a kid, right? Um, you're at home with mom, and you've done something wrong, and mom is like, when dad comes home, this will happen to you. Future, passive. In other words, you're not going to do it. Daddy's going to do it to you, just so you know. And this is the same thing, okay? Don't judge or you too will be judged, right? And that's what it says. You too will be judged. So the question is, by who and when? Who am I going to be judged by? By, by you? By the people that I judge? Who, who am I going to be judged by? And then the measure you use, it will be measured to you. When? And by who? How? And the implication behind all this is that God the Father is the one who in the future will judge us and measure us according to the same measure that we use. Those are sobering realities right there, aren't they? To look at the condition of my heart and say, yeah, man, someday God's going to judge me the same, the same way in the same critical spirit that I judge other people. Don't judge or you too will be judged. Now, here's the problem. The problem is, there's a tremendous amount of misunderstanding about what this means, right? Many of us like this idea of not judging because we don't like to um, get into conflict with people, right? So we'll say when someone has uh, a friend or a sibling or a spouse or whoever has kind of fallen off the wagon, like, who am I to judge? I mean, doesn't the Bible say, do not judge? And so I want to represent to you, over here you have this category of people who really line up on the do not judge. 
And here's what they think that means. That th- they, that they think that means that I have no right, I have no authority, I, have, I should not ever speak anything into your life that I see as, as wrong or inappropriate. Because the Bible says to me in Matthew 7, do not judge. And there's other passages. Romans 2, G- uh, Paul is writing there and he's like, when you judge people, you're condemning yourself. Romans 14, Paul writes and says, stop judging one another. Right? I mean, this is, this is what he says. James talks about it. In James 4, he says, don't judge one another. Knock it off. Quit it. So you have a pile of scripture that's going to say, don't judge. And here's where the don't judge people really land. And that is, oh, you can, you're doing that? Oh, that's well, I, who am I to judge? I don't have... I don't have any authority to do that. I shouldn't ever speak into your life, and there's no way I should do that. And we, we, when we're over on this extreme, we think that we essentially are very passive in our care for one another. We think, man, the Bible has kind of cut out any opportunity I have to sharpen you. Over here, though, here's the problem. With do not judge, the word has several meanings and, and uh, kind of connotations. Over here, though, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul is speaking, and he's, he's talking about um, the, uh, the, the issue of lawsuits. And he says, you know what? You should not, uh, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 5, he's speaking about um, judging those outside the church versus those inside the church. And he says in 1 Corinthians 5, you should judge those inside the church. Listen to that. So for those of us who are over here, we're like, yeah, don't judge. This is a great message. Don't judge. It gives me opportunity never to confront anybody or talk to anybody. The Bible also says, 1 Corinthians 5, you should judge. You, you, you should judge those inside the church. And then in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul goes on to, to talk about, he says, the saints will judge the world. And the saints will judge the angels. Uh, we don't understand all that, but that is biblical. And then he goes on to make the case, don't take one another to court, but rather judge amongst yourselves. 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17, the passage about the strength of the, of the Bible says, the, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. You hear those words? Those are judging words. I cannot correct or rebuke without discerning and judging what needs to be corrected and what needs to be rebuked, right? Parents, what if your kid was over here, you walk in their room, and they're smoking a joint? Like, hey, hey, Junior, what are you doing? Hey, Mom and Dad, do not judge. I mean, I'm just saying, it's biblical. And, and as a parent, you're like, no, 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 no. no. It doesn't actually mean don't judge. That doesn't apply to parents. No, as a, as a parent, you know, you just know you have to judge. It is the loving thing to do. In fact, if you don't, you're a bad parent. If you are not a judge, you're a bad parent. Parent, you know that in that context, in that situation. So you can't do that. So here's the deal. 
There's this confusion. So, so some over here are like, maybe, maybe I should judge, and I'm just going to kind of hammer people. After all, we need to confront one another, rebuke one another, and train one another up, and I'm just going to kind of beat people up in the process. There is confusion about what in the world this means. Do I not judge? That, that kind of seems wrong. Or do I judge, and if I do, what does this mean? And this is where the passage continues to try to give clarification. Jesus goes on into an illustration. And here's the illustration. It's a great one. Verse 3. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? And how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. A couple things going on here. Number one, this is a woodworking image. And you can imagine what a speck is. It's like a thing of sawdust. I tried to get a, um, a full wood beam here, but I couldn't. But the language that Jesus uses here, he's like, um, there's a plank in your eye, and you have a piece of sawdust in your friend's eye. You ever have sawdust in your eye? Yeah, that's annoying, isn't it? That and, and splinters are my worst enemies. Uh, I have issues, personal issues. <laughs> but especially issues with splinters. So here's the deal. Jesus is saying, uh, okay, someone has a a speck of sawdust in their eye, and then the the word that he uses for plank is really, it's much bigger than this, but it's a wood beam, like a supporting main beam you'd use for a house. So imagine this, like, hey, you know, I need to talk to you about that piece of sawdust that you've got in your eye. You know, when can we have the conversation? And what are you thinking? Like, what is this idiot doing? Uh, you've got something sticking out of your head, my friend. You've got to get that right, right? And this is what Jesus said. You need to see how stupid this looks to understand. If you, if you come up to somebody and you're like, listen, hey, we've got to talk, man. We've got to talk. We've got to talk. You're like, you, you don't have any, and I don't have any influence. I don't have any, you're just going to laugh at me. Like, you hypocrite. Why would I let you take that thing out of my eye when you don't even know that you've got a two-by-four sticking out of yours? And so Jesus comes to us with the spirit of this thing, and he says, listen, the reason that you know that your brother has a speck of sawdust in their eye is because you know that that lived in you first. The reason I can see your impatience is because I know I'm impatient. And the reason that I can see where you fail at parenting is because I've failed there too. And the reason that I can see where you're not disciplined is because I'm not disciplined in the same area. It's a common human problem. And so what lived, what's living in you, I know has lived in me first. So Jesus comes and says, listen, don't forget, this thing is in your eye. The reason you see it in theirs is because it's in yours too. So come, come to remove it. Now, what he says in verse 5, though, is interesting, isn't it? He doesn't leave it and say, hey, just go ahead and get that plank out of your eye, and then you'll be good. He says, first remove the plank from your eye, and then you will see what? Clearly to what? 
remove the speck, read that part with me, to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Let's read that part again. To remove the speck from your brother's eye. In other words, take this baby out, okay? Take this thing out, set that down. Now you don't go home, you don't pretend that your brother doesn't have a speck in his eye. You know those pieces of sawdust are annoying. And now that you don't have that thing in your way, now you go up to them with gentle care and say, hey, I know this is going to hurt, but let me help you take that impatience out. Let me help you take that parenting problem out. Let me help you take that porn problem out. Let me help you take that greed problem out. It lived in me first. It hurt to get mine out, but I'm going to now, I'm not going to give up, I'm not going to going to discharge my responsibility to care for you. I'm not going to come to you. I'm going to pull it out. And here's what judgment means from Jesus. Don't judge in a critical, fault-finding way. Don't do this. Oh, from here I can see everybody's problems. You've got problems. Come, peer to peer, eye to eye, with a gentle touch that is restorative. Jesus doesn't say, back off, don't ever correct or help one another. No, no, no. We must judge in the sense of restoring and helping sharpen one another. This is what we do. And so, if you will... Here's what he's saying. Take that stool. Take that thing that exists in your life that by default you want to judge people anyway. Take the stool and move it and take it down here. Now from this position, eye to eye, peer to peer, brother to brother, sister to sister, let's talk. Let me help you remove the speck from your eye. Because not too long ago, I had a plank in mine. Now, there's some warning here for those who would actually do this. Because if you've ever tried to remove something like a speck from someone's eye, it can get dicey, can it? You ever have kids and they respond strongly to you trying to remove a splinter or something in their eye, and there's a frantic you know, uh, franticness to their response to pain like that. And Jesus says in verse 6, he says, Do not give dogs what is sacred, and do not throw your pearls to pigs, and if you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. In other words, this could get dangerous. Don't expect to sit down with someone and stick your finger in their eye and pull something out without some kickback sometimes. When people aren't ready for that kind of conversation, it can get difficult, and it can be hard. Restoration, redemption, is like a sacred gift to give to one another. To say, I want to to help you grow. And not many people are going to do this, but I'm telling you, I have had a plank. You've only got a speck. Be aware there are some who are going to respond to that sacredness of that restoration and say, I don't want this. Who do you to judge? 
Just be aware. Not everyone's ready. But it doesn't mean we shouldn't lovingly try. But what can we do? I'd like to suggest a couple of, couple of things to try to bring this home for you. So when are we to judge? When are we to judge? When am I supposed to know that I should pursue um, a conversation or a restorative kind of a thing with you? And I'm taking this from the peacemakers material. They've been very helpful to me and to us in the past in working through this. When do I know when I should come to speak to you? When do I say, ah, this is just a personal issue that I have? When, when is it um, right to come talk to you or you come talk to me about something that we see in one another? Okay? First of all, I ask three questions. Number one, is it, is it dishonoring? Here it comes. Here we go. Is it dishonoring God? Is what I see happening in your life or what you see happening in my life, first of all, dishonoring God? The way that I'm carrying myself about is tarnishing the name of Jesus. That could be on Facebook, it could be at work, it could be at a family gathering, it could be something like that where people are looking like, hey, wait, wait, didn't you say that you're a Jesus follower and you're acting like that? That's dishonoring to God. And so if this thing is dishonoring to God, I need to come to you and speak to you. And secondly, this, is it hurting other people? Okay, maybe that, that God is not dishonored in this sense, but man, others are being hurt by your insensitivity. You don't even know that. But you didn't even ask how this is going. You, you, you carried on with the day like nothing's going on. And you're impatient, and people aren't going to tell you that, but I'm, I think I might need to because people are being hurt by, by your actions. You're coming to me the same way. Listen, Tim, this is what you're not seeing, and it's hurting people. And here's how it's hurting them. And thirdly, is it standing in the way of my relationship with you? Is it in the way? When I go to bed and I think about you, I think, boy, I hope, I hope if I actually walk, if I actually go shopping someday in my life and I'm in the mall, and I see you, is my first thought, I want to duck into a store and just pretend I didn't see you. Okay? I'm in the shopping, uh, I'm going grocery shopping, I'm going to duck up behind the other aisle and just kind of hope that you don't see me. Is there a, an issue in our relationship? If there is, if, you, if, if there is this block in your relationship, we need restoration. We need to judge, yes, one another in the sense of restoration and wholeness. Not in the sense of critical and fault finding. Okay? Now, let me say this. How we judge other people is how they're going to see Jesus. This is the issue, isn't it? This is why this seat is important, because this seat is not going anywhere in your life. This stool is not going to go anywhere. This is a part of us, and this is a healthy part. So that as a parent, when you walk into the room and your kid is doing the joint thing, you know by default, I need this, I need it for wisdom, I need to remove that and deal with that issue. This is why in your relationship with your spouse, something's going wrong and you have a discernment about it and you're like, mm, there's something wrong. You need to have this. Keep this seat down here. Keep the seat here. Don't put the seat up here. Because from here, I'm looking down on you. I'm looking down. Critical fault finding. From here, I'm looking right at you, with you. Because how we judge people is how people are going to judge Jesus. That's why this matters. That's why this matters. Let me encourage you to do this this week. All right? You're going to do a lot of sitting this week. All right? Even some of you who are the most active people, you're in the active workforce, you're going out there, you're solving the world's problems. 
Here's what I want you to do. When you sit down this week, currently sitting down, if you're listening to the podcast, exercising, you're not sitting down yet, you can't wait for it to be over so you can sit down. When you sit down, you're on your way to work tomorrow morning, you get in the truck, you get in the car, whatever it is, you, you sit down, you're like, wait, I'm sitting, I'm sitting, sitting. You're not even going to think about it because it's going to be normal, but I want you to think, when you sit down, you pull up your, uh, your office chair to your desk tomorrow morning, you're heading to the job site and you get in the truck, you get in the car and you're off there. When you sit down, I want you to, to think about that action, that movement. Okay. How I judge other people is how they're going to judge Jesus today. How I interact with other people is how they're going to interact with Jesus today. This is my deal. And I want to sit. I don't want to stand. I don't want to get this thing up there. I want to look with love and grace and judge and discern with love and grace today so people will see Jesus in me. How I judge you, how you judge me, is how people will judge our Savior. Let's pray together. Our good God and Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the opportunity to interact with this text this morning and the truth that's in it. We have some real um, needs to have this be awoken in our lives, to have the courage to, to care well for one another, to speak truth into one another's lives when we need it. For those of us here this morning who may never have thought, man, I really do need to, to judge, I need to be discerning, I don't need to be a, a judge in the judicial sense, but I need to be a friend and a judge in that sense, where I'm helping encourage growth for those in my Sunday school class, in my neighborhood, in my work, in my family, in my small group, and there's been something that's been going on in my life with my spouse or with someone else that I know of, and I just think they're making wrong choices, and I I always thought it wasn't my place, but maybe it is, because how I judge is how people will see Jesus. So I pray that you give us courage here this week, Father, to step into areas in which we've been unwilling to or maybe didn't even know we should have stepped in. These are hard things to do. It's kind of like, as the song says, they're like mountains. These mountains that exist in our lives, these barriers to accomplishing your will and doing what we know we should do. And so we know this song is going to say that Savior you can move the mountains we believe in a God who is mighty Father help us not just to believe in a God who is mighty out there but mighty in here mighty to move us to judge well to love well to correct and restore in a healthy way we pray this in Jesus name Amen